0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message
1: good morning today is thursday the 22nd of february my name is scott Sherra. i am grace's dad you know, one of the reasons that God allowed Grace's premature death, murder, was to wake me up. And that's why this program is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad, because I needed Grace's death, unfortunately, to wake me up. And I'm hopeful through all the advocacy and research that I've been doing that somebody else doesn't have to lose their best buddy. So she's the reason we're here. Uh, You know, I've often thought how easy it is for um comics to get material they just have to walk around right and they get their material well you know i'm starting to do the same thing not from a comedy perspective but from a real life perspective of how this entire antichrist and false prophet system that has been for the past 6000 years is meant to control us on one side and give us the illusion uh that we're not controlled on the other side and i saw it this morning i went to the dentist and it's interesting to me, you know, the last dentist I was at, uh, they lied to me. So I left the chair. Uh, the lady, the hygienist said, you've got to get x-rays. That's a law. I said, that's not a law. And so because she lied to me, I left the chair, went to a new dentist. And today, you know, every time I think if you go to the dentist weekly, they'll they'll keep saying you need to get x-rays, 'You need to get x-rays. But I went in for just the six month cleaning, which is another sigh But anyway, the regardless, I went in, she said, you're, you're due for your x-rays. I said, I, I don't ever want to be asked again. I'm not going to do x-rays. And so she said, well, then we've got to have you sign this form. And she gives me the blank screen. I said, I'm not going to sign a blank screen. What's the form say? So we go through the form and it just, I'm basically saying that the dentist, their employees, blah, 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 are not liable. And so that's fine. I, I'm not asking you to be liable for my decision. But it would be interesting to me if I, had them sign that they're liable for the radiation from the x-rays on my body. I'm sure they wouldn't do that. And I, you know, when the dentist finally came in, he said, well, you know, you've got to get these x-rays. I said, well, I'm not doing that. Well, then we're, you know, there's going to be a time where we can't uh, uh, do work for you anymore. I said, well, that's fine. Then I'll find another dentist. It's just interesting to me. I mean, it's a, a simple example, but you know, another one happened. I normally I'm not reporting news on this program, but yesterday, a lady who is um, a person I trust sent me the the latest on the UK. They're reporting that medazolam was used to euthanize COVID patients. There's illegal DNRs on these patients, and you know, of course, this is all part of the controlled release of the evil. You know, first it's coming out from the UK where the United States was number 1 on the planet with covid hospital murders. And so this allows the United States to point at these naughty Europeans for doing that when we did it at a rate that's 10 times worse than them. You know, so that's the layers of deception are hard for me to to grasp, but you know, praise God we've got a guest that is an expert on layers of deception today. Well, before we, we introduce our guest I as I always do with the show I want to uh, say something about my best buddy So Don can you bring up the actress photo first so this is Grace after uh, she got done acting in one of the plays that she was in and she she <laughs> she was really good at it uh, she was and she was a gift uh, we're gonna show a short clip just a 40-second clip from uh, the Sound of Music play that she was in, and she was the bower. And she got this, this uh, part specifically because she asked for it, and she asked if she could ad-lib and make it her own, and boy, did she ever. So, Don, can you play that clip, please?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I have here the decision of our distinguished gentleman.
1: We will start out in third place. In third place, the judges have named that singer Mundo the <laughs> grace had down syndrome and people don't realize the capability of somebody with down syndrome if you let them live and you know that applies to all of us but you know i always share these things about grace because you know the the society is against people with disabilities especially down syndrome in the united states 90 percent of down syndrome people are murdered in the womb today and uh, Grace was the best thing that God ever gave a second to salvation. All right. Well, moving on to our program. Uh, Don, can you bring Jay in, please? Jay, welcome. Good
2: to see you. Uh, Good to see you and as well, Scott. Uh, it's, uh, well, I'm, I am i don't know what to say other than I, I share my deepest condolences with you for the loss of your daughter. It's a very hard story to hear.
1: Um, well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Um, So Jay is somebody I've been following for for quite a while, for about two years, and he didn't know it until I tracked him down because I saw a presentation that he did. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I wonder if he'd come on on this podcast. And I've titled today's program Layers of Deception. For those of you who don't know Jay, I'm going to have him introduce himself because the bio that he gave He's got so many high points. I I think he can say it best. So Jay, can you introduce yourself to the audience, please?
2: Uh sure. Thanks very much, Scott. Um, I'm a a guy who who answered very young uh, that I wanted to be a doctor, and that's the best answer you can give to adults. Everybody lights up like a like a light bulb <laughs> when you say you want to be a doctor. And uh, so I got kind of stuck in that mold for a little while. I went all the way to college and thought I was a pre-med student. And uh, I was on the wait list for five years in a row to like three different med schools in the Chicagoland area. And in that time, I was a bartender and a high school teacher, just kind of treading water, telling everybody that eventually I'm going to be a doctor. And uh, at some point, um, I was making so much money as a bartender, I decided to stay just a bartender. And uh, that kind of was the start of not necessarily bad things but but uh put me on a precipice that meant that when i didn't interact well with the bar owner i lost my job um that put me in the want ads of the chicago tribune and i found a technician job at the university of chicago that brought me all the way back to my love of biology um got me already again fired up about science but not from the perspective of med school but rather from the perspective of doing a PhD and becoming a scientist. And I just never really considered that as a possibility. I didn't understand it. It was just, I was going to be a doctor. That's what I had said and what I was going to do. Then I found myself teaching high school and really enjoying the aspect of teaching, but really just disturbed by the whole administration of school and the, the things that other teachers say and the number of teachers that had given up. Um, so I was pretty disillusioned young adult for a long time, between 20 and 30 years old um, until I found biology again. That was two years or three years of technician work at the University of Chicago. Um, I took a chance and uh, moved to the Netherlands and did my Ph.D. there. Um, I was lucky enough to trick a Dutch woman into falling in love with me. And then I took her to the Norway with me. Um, and we um, had our first two sons in Norway um, <clears throat> And then we came back to the netherlands hoping to live there um, she has a pretty wonderful extended family in the netherlands uh you know 15 years ago was still a pretty uh pretty nice place to live um, but that didn't work out four years in rotterdam brought me back to pittsburgh and so we tried again to start my scientific career in pittsburgh um, i got a pretty good position i enjoyed where i was um i was biking to and from uh, Pittsburgh, or the University of Pittsburgh on my bike all year round. Um, I was able to teach every once in a while at Carnegie Mellon, which kind of scratched the teaching itch. Um, Everything was going pretty well. And then the pandemic started. And I started to very quickly question most of it, um, especially the sort of what I would consider now almost ridiculous measures that they were trying to get us to do, putting on a mask as soon as you walked into the into the hospital and walking over to someone at the door and signing in and then getting your temperature taken and put a little sticker on your on your badge so that they could see that you had your temperature taken and if you wanted to go between buildings you had to do it again and it just seemed so ridiculous. They didn't even want me to bring my bike to work anymore because I was going through the garage and they didn't want me to bring the bike through the lobby and since I couldn't go through the garage and then come back through the front and they were they were calling the saying I was a violation of the protocol anyway, At some moment, the faculty decided that I was too scary to let to come in anymore. And uh, they basically stopped my research, stopped talking to me, um, and didn't renew my contract. And in the university system, you can't move on if you don't have recommendations, if your research just stopped, if you don't have, you know, finished papers. And so they basically just ended a 20-year career in neurobiology. And I found myself kind of, I didn't know what to do, so I just kept producing more stuff on my YouTube channel where I was teaching immunology and virology and reading the papers and trying to talk ba- everyone back into believing that that natural immunity meant something from the very beginning and that a lot of these worst case scenarios they've been telling us about for the last nine months aren't real. And that uh, eventually got the attention of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um i was lucky enough to be able to help him behind the scenes write this wuhan cover-up book that came out um i guess i I get my time frames mixed up now but i think it came out like just this last fall but anyway yeah i've got a copyright uh, hey nice yeah so that was a copy here yeah so and then i got yeah, it's a nice book. It's a nice book. And there's a lot of good biology in it from me and from other people. There's a couple really important citations that are in that book that aren't in any other book. Um, and then for six months after that, I worked for uh, Children's Health Defense. And in January, unfortunately, um, the, the approach that I take apparently with my stream encroached on the way that CHD interacts with their partners, and they decided to let me go. Um, that's the all the details I got, I was offered a a, a small severance package of eight thousand dollars and an NDA, and I turned that down because I wanted to be able to tell everybody the truth about what happened, and I didn't want people to speculate that somehow I took lots of money from CHD. Um, and so I considered it a donation. I really think that organization is still spectacular. I loved working with Brian Hooker and with Jackie Hines and the other people that I that I got to work with while I was there. It's just uh, for whatever reason, there's there's more interests involved um, in that organization than than I guess can cope with a guy like me or something. I don't know. But anyway, I'm back on the internet now. Um, I'm back to teaching um, as often as I can. And usually what I'm trying to do is what I'm going to do for you here, which is try to bring people back to reconsider what happened in 2020 and not buy the the narrative on Fox news and not by the narrative on MSNBC, because I think there's a way to show everybody that actually both of those narratives led to the same place. And, right. uh, if we can do that, um, I think, and and more importantly, if we can get young adults to realize that the ones that we, we abandoned for a couple of years that we sent off to college and didn't, didn't keep home, um, and didn't, you know, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes we made is letting our college kids make this decision that, well, college is so important that I'm going to go and I'm going to take tests and, and I'm eventually going to take a shot in order to go back to college. We should have been, yeah. we, sh- we should have been there for them. And I think if we had been, uh, we might be in a very different place right now. Um, so we have to also apologize to them for that. I think, should I start this little thing? I'll get it done. Yeah, quick. Don, but, Don, we're going to
1: have uh, Jay start and then we'll, we'll come back, uh, as we talk go
2: ahead it's all yours okay thanks so this presentation i gave a little while ago i'm really happy scott's letting me do it i'm just going to give the the first introduction to kind of give you an idea of how um science and and information and discussions can be manipulated and please don't don't misunderstand this as me representing this as something that i've put together that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants going all the way back to somebody like Thomas Sowell. Um, we should not be misleading the young, and I guarantee you that that's what they are intending to do right now. Um, the way that this has been best described is by Edward Bernays, um, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element of democratic society. This guy lived in the 1920s when there were only newspapers and radio. Um, imagine the kind of power that we have abdicated to the people that own social media and that own mainstream media and that are no longer held to the standard that even we held our tv stations to in the 80s where you couldn't go on tv and lie anymore you can now you can literally go on tv and lie then the the nfl is actually entertainment it is not a sport anymore so we have to acknowledge these things. And more importantly, we have to acknowledge that social media isn't the free speech world that we imagine it to be because the algorithms and because money and power are behind it. There are people on the internet that have been for years promoted artificially to make sure that whatever voice you seek, whatever opinion you seek, it is sort of already preconceived by someone that they have control over so that the limited spectrum of debate is enforced whether you know it or not now the selling point i have for the pandemic that i think is most important is to understand that the left and the right the tories and the labor wherever country you want to go in both sides and it's incredible really how often western countries have two sides of the coin but both sides have been fooled into solving a mystery, and that's why I call it a, a, an illusion of consensus about this Scooby-Doo. They have agreed on both sides that there is a mystery to be solved, and it's a mystery about a lab leak. Um, the important thing to see is that this illusion of consensus didn't start in 2020 with some panic on on the television and radio. This illusion of consensus started already a couple decades ago with the funding of the publishing of and the encouragement with more funding of specific lines of investigation which started to imply that pandemic potential existed in mother nature if you tell tell scientists with millions of dollars to go find something and show you evidence that something exists and if you find that evidence will give you more money i can guarantee you they're going to find evidence they might not find good evidence but they will find good reasons to argue that their bad evidence is evidence of what you want to find. They have also conducted over and over again over the years, many people are aware of the event 201, but you can go and find several more exercises that have occurred over time, which have reinforced this idea that bioterrorism, bioweapons, that this possibility is almost limitless. And this importantly has led to at the start of the pandemic very many embedded preconceived notions about what worst case scenario is and they have taken advantage of that all of these people in these meetings that had lanyards on that got to go to the fancy dinners afterward or had some special meeting in a in italy because that's where all these people went that year these people have all preconceived notions about wor- what worst case scenario is, and their careers have depended on them respecting it as real. At the beginning of the pandemic, now a very, a very diabolical trick, I believe, was played on us, and that they told us a lot of stories about what was happening in expectation that when they transfected us, and I will define that later, of course, when you ask, how when they transfected us, when they used the countermeasures that they knew they were going to use. They also knew that there would be expected side effects, expected downsides, and they seeded that expectation in the story in 2020. There are lots of internet internet rumors and things like people falling down on the street, but also intermediate rumors like, you know, heart attacks, waves of heart attacks that were actually caused by and I'm sure Scott's aware of this, just do not resuscitate orders that were given to Entire uh, EMT team, so that when they went out, they were told, don't resuscitate pe- uh, people because you might spread the virus. This led to their ability to confound expected problems to come from the countermeasures with problems that they blamed on the virus. And this was all done by a team of people that were already ready to go. More importantly, Where they were going to perform these things, like in New York, you must be very, very suspicious of New York because the story in New York is very stark. It is 24,000 people, give or take, were, were killed or died or disappeared or vanished or buried in four weeks in New York City. And then the dying basically stopped and went back to baseline. We don't know where all these bodies are. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. No, there's no good accounting of them. And in fact, there are many, many people who will tell you that nobody was dying in New York City in 2020. And the real dying started in 2021. So it's extraordinary because the way this probably worked, and this is a a pretty good estimation from a lot of different sides, is that if this was a national security issue, that they were considering worst case scenario possible, then in certain places they would have, they would have the military industrial complex, whoever it is, the executive branch, HHS, DOD would have been waiting for good Samaritan doctors to show up in New York City. And a few of them have probably been co-opted, co-opted to go along with this worst case scenario. Why? because we don't know at the time if the worst case scenario is going to come and we need to impress on a nation of 350 million people, we need to impress upon a a planet of 8 billion people that the worst case scenario is possible and that we all need to comply. And so this was super important and it has been going on for four years where they have been continuously reinforcing that the reason why they acted, the reason why they did what they did, the reason why they rushed what they rushed, the reason why they lied when they lied, whatever the excuse is, is because worst case scenario was possible. And in fact, the worst case scenario gets worse and worse as we go into the future because all of these technologies are supposedly getting easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper. And so eventually people are going to make these viruses in their garage with a, with a bachelor's degree in biology. What I want is high morbidity. I want people to complain, so what do I do? I go to Des Moines. Ladies and gentlemen
1: and people on the screen, I have nothing against Des Moines. I lived there for four years. I go to Des Moines. I infect a couple of Sentinel cases in Des Moines. I go to Seattle, I infect a couple of cases there. I go to North Carolina, I go to Wisconsin. What I'm doing is I'm using a dispersion methodology to be able to infect Sentinel cases with a highly morbid condition these individuals complain. Again, this is a central nervous system condition. So they're complaining of whatever the bug may do.
2: So what this guy is describing, and this guy's name is James Giordano, and you can find him on the internet. There's lots of videos on YouTube. You can watch hours of him describing worst case scenarios with regard to bioweapon deployment and how a bioweapon deployment could be exaggerated with the internet and used to destabilize a country. And he's got lots of examples of neurotoxins and chemicals and, and 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 nanobots and all kinds of things that it could be done with. Now, what I would like everyone that's watching to consider is that what he's also revealing, actually, is that if the right combination of liars got together and decided that they were going to pretend or agree that worst case scenario was happening, that a lot of what James Giordano would ascribe to a neurotoxin or a chemical or some kind of magic deployment of new military technology could be simply done with testing and protocols that had financial incentives for people to follow those protocols and unfortunately all of those things actually exist in our current timeline we have a military response that was documented in certain places in america including in new york city we have a co-opted selection group of narrative controllers that have been put in front of us from the very beginning have been selling books about the virus from the very beginning and are still in front of us now they have there was a financial and legal incentive to call things COVID, including the fact that if emts and doctors called it COVID, then they were off the hook for malpractice because this was a novel virus that was protected under the prep act a coordinated propaganda campaign to drill the worst case scenario was combined with scaring doctors by sending the old doctors home and giving them early retirement giving early professor or old professors early retirement at universities was done all around the united states which created this wow they're they're letting the the chair of the department retired? That's crazy. This must really be a dangerous virus. Then they did something absolutely diabolical, and they used the protocols to kill people. And unfortunately, for the the host of this podcast, he knows exactly how this was done in one of many different examples of how vulnerable people using protocols that were absolutely amoral and absolutely wrong for for the well-being of the patient were used under the pretense of this worst-case scenario. And in turn, those numbers were used to justify to the rest of the country that the worst-case scenario was happening. Right. And this is diabolical. They knew they had to do this in order to get compliance. And so now the question only is, what percentage do you want to attribute to what part of this, this murdering scheme? Because there is no need to have a virus, except in the cases where, like the Sohomish County man in Washington state, you actually claim to have, have cultured the virus and sequenced its full genome, and it's exactly the same as Wuhan. Well, maybe there they have planted something like Giordano has, has said to create the illusion of a pandemic. Maybe they planted the sequence in other places as well so that the sequence would be found and could be confounded with this worst case scenario. However grace and 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 rebecca's daughter whose name i can't remember right now and all the other other victims of uh, i'm i'm people have lost husbands and wives when they went into the hospitals and it was the wrong hospital they weren't coming out and this reality was part of a pre-existing narrative that unlike what giordano says with magic bioweapons and things like that this is really a very clever combination of Misdirection and 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 fear, confusion, frustration, doubt that allowed this story of a novel virus that killed millions of people, but we saved millions more from by injecting people. Paul Offit just said two days ago on his little podcast that the one thing we got right was the mRNA injection. Wow, was that exciting! We got it right when we'd never used it before. It was the most extraordinary lie I'd ever heard in in recent memory. And of course, they're telling us that this virus will come again. I have been trying to explain that this pandemic potential in in, in a bat cave or in a cell culture or in animal passage, or even if you stitch pieces together, has been a clever mythology that has been told to us so that we will hand it down to our children, so that we will tell our children that the worst case scenario actually didn't happen. And that if it did, it could be billions of people dead. That's what they want us to believe so that we will surrender our sovereignty and we will invert our freedom to a sort of fascism. And we will do it gladly because we are afraid that these people are out of control. And a lot of these intellectual dark web, Joe Rogan, Brett Weinstein type people have actually been responsible for us getting to the stage where we believe this 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 possibility is real so there were also guys that were talking at the beginning of the pandemic that like this dude biblical i kid
1: you not people come in i get intubated
2: they die the cycle repeats that guy got put on tucker carlson he says that his daughter is also he's scared because his daughter works at another hospital in new york They got people on TV to tell you that what was happening wasn't what was really happening. And it was part of this exercise. And you can see it because they won't do the math about where these excess deaths come from. None of these people will. And what this is, they don't talk about the fact that they sent these doctors home, that they told these EMTs not to touch anybody. They told people that they needed to be ventilated because if you don't ventilate them, they might spread it through the whole hospital. They didn't tell everybody They don't explain to people that they told doctors not to use antibiotics because antibiotics don't work on a virus. They told doctors that steroids don't work. You can't use those to calm down the cytokine storm. They didn't tell everybody that remdesivir would hurt people. They didn't tell everybody that Mendazolam was overused. They haven't told everybody that opioid deaths have gone skyrocketing in the last three years and have been mixed in with this excess deaths that have nothing to do with the novel virus. They don't talk about the death certificate fraud, the financial incentives to do it. They don't talk about the track and trace. Millions of dollars were spent just in Pittsburgh alone on four different companies that hired people to call people, to tell people that somebody you know tested positive for COVID. They don't talk about the PCR fraud, the lateral test fraud and the sequencing fraud. The important thing to see here is it's a spread of bad ideas. that's scarier than this RNA virus that they're talking about. The RNA molecule that they say spread from Wuhan all around the world and is still going now. And the important thing to understand is that this is done across the board. And the best example for this audience might be autism. And the reason why I can give you this example is because I'm a neuro neurobiologist. And so I was in this field um, where everybody's trying to study the brain and there are potentially millions of dollars of grant money available. If you have a good idea or you have a good, um, interesting thing that you want to uh, that you want to investigate. But the problem is, is that these millions, if not billions of dollars have been focused on particular things by asking these doctors to ask particular questions. And in the case of autism and a lot of these other diseases, the trick is that they know that, how can I explain it as quick as possible? They know that the only thing that they have to offer and the only thing that they really care about is cracking the human genome. And so what they've done with almost all the NIH funding, but only thing I can really speak to as clearly as possible is neurobiology, the study of the brain, they focus on genes. The reason why they focus on genes is because this is the only straw they have to grasp on and because they can create almost an infinite variety of illusions by blaming things on genes. And autism is a fantastic example of that, where they've invested millions of dollars with grant calls which ask researchers to find connections with particular genes and autism, with particular... Uh, with particular childhood diseases which resemble autism and the genetic causes of those, and then misconstruing those as explaining autism, which comes from vaccine injury, by uh, for example. And so this, this cleverness extends to almost all science, but the science that is most distorted by this level of, of disingenuousness is medical sciences. It's the sciences that impinges on the healthcare system and drugs and and the intellectual property that supports it and so all of these these investigations are pigeonholed in this way as a biologist it's it's likely that i would not have been able to get grant money to study vaccine injury models of autism so in other words they they come up with lots of grants that are a mouse model of of Alzheimer's disease or a mouse model of Parkinson's disease but they would never ever fund a mouse model of vaccine injury. They will fund a mouse model of genetic causes of autism and if you make a genetic knockout mouse that doesn't socialize well with its mom and you call that a model of autism they'll fund that till the cows come home.
1: But if you
2: tell them that you want to make and develop an animal model where you use a vaccine equivalent to inject and then investigate what happens to that animal's physiology, you'll get it not a dime. And that that's the that's the reality of it. So for 10 years, they've been putting billions in the EU and America into the genetic causes of all of these things. And so now the entire field is more or less convinced that genetic causes are the only thing that we need to worry about that our interaction with the environment that interference with development that that any of these things are secondary to the genetic causes because first and foremost that's how i get my money and so with regard to the pandemic potential that we are now told is inevitable and exists for all time the same methodology was used you give money you tell people what you want them to find and then they publish papers that says, well, we kind of found some stuff. And if you do that long enough, eventually you have a whole trail of papers that can be pointed to and said, well, pandemic potential exists in mother nature, subscript four, five, six. Uh, Pandemic potential has been identified in bat caves, subscript two, three, and four. And if you go back to those papers, you find that those papers say the same things. Well, there might be. And this limited spectrum of debate is where we now live. And we imagine that there's all this certainty and that all these people on the news are correct and that they all know what they're talking about more than we could possibly ever understand. So we might as well just give up, watch Netflix and not question them. And in reality, most of what we think is high fidelity biology, which has defined a pandemic over the last four years is smoke and mirrors. And the most terrible thing is is that the moms and dads who had vaccine-injured kids already were onto this fraud. The, The people that were affected by AIDS and AZT were already onto this fraud, and it's just unfortunate that the media machine has already kept us apart for decades, and now the pandemic now represents a time where this limited spectrum of debate can kind of be exposed for what it is, and we can kind of reorient and try to I guess the best phrase is to take our country back again. I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah. Well, is that right? Are you still there? I am. Well, thanks, Jay. That was
1: fantastic. You can hear hear me okay?
2: I could hear you now. Yes, sorry. All right. uh, I had one down there for a second. Yeah, that
1: was that was really good. These layers of deception. I mean, they create a false science and then base their evidence on something false that that they created. I mean, it is, it's it's really something to me. And I I want to have Don play this clip about Edward Bernays. You introduced him, but I want to play this clip and just I want to spend just a couple minutes on him because he
2: really got this idea of propaganda going. So Don, can you play that clip? Yeah. He's a guy that was brought to my attention by Vera Sharav who's also a good uh, fighter on our team. Um, yes. She, oh, her, she starts her presentation with him every day, every time. So I, I give a big shout out to her and her work. Well, uh, <laughs> I
1: I just talked with her this last week. To, she's, fan, she's writing a book right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she has been a gift to me personally with all of her knowledge. Dom, play the Edward Bernays clip, please.
3: A pioneer in the field of propaganda, he's also referred to as the father of public relations. Bernays believed that public relations is not a gimmick, but a necessity. He argued that public relations could be used to shape the response of a general or particular audience. He understood that perception often mattered more than reality. Bernays was born in Vienna, Austria in 1891, and later his family moved to New York City. He graduated from Cornell University with a degree in agriculture in 1912. One of Bernays' major contributions was his groundbreaking book titled Propaganda, published in 1928, which rebranded the term propaganda as a consistent enduring effort to create or shape events to influence the relations of the public to an enterprise, idea, or group. In it, he expounded his belief that an invisible ruling elite could control the masses through psychological manipulation
1: awesome yeah i think that was a it's a good clip it gives everybody a flavor a couple of things that i want to share is uh, are are that first of all that man lived to be 104 years old it's well, didn't interesting know that. yeah it's interesting to me that a number of these people who are um re- really evil they live to be over a hundred we're not going to cover that today but you can just chew on that if you're you're listening The the thing that I want to mention is we had a law in place that was put in place in 1948 called the Smith-Mundt Act, and interestingly, the Smith-Mundt Act said that the United States could only use propaganda against foreign countries. All right, so it you know that's a that's propaganda in and of itself because now we have this illusion. That they're not using propaganda against us, and the what I would consider the third largest psyop that we've ever experienced in United States history happened post 1948, which was the JFK murder. But that was when that law was in place. Well, then in 2012, the law is repealed, so now we can we can lie to our own citizens, and it's legal. And Jay was mentioning, a, you know, he was mentioning that earlier. But I wanted to connect the dots on how they do this. I mean, they they do it with these levels of deception, and it's it's mind blowing to me. Uh, so, any comment, any further comment on that, Jay? Before we move on.
2: No, no, I I just am really happy that we connect on Bernays because he's his historic relevance also. I mean, he's it's too old not to take seriously. If they could think in that way when there were only a few newspapers and word traveled very much by word of mouth, Um, what they can do now with cell phones and and social media, I'm afraid none of us understand how bad it is. I don't think we can understand how bad it is. I I, I agree.
1: I have stopped trying to understand how bad it is because Mm -hmm. you end up going in these rabbit holes and you can't get out of them. You just jump from hole to hole. You know, speaking of newspapers, I'm going to have Don bring up a newspaper clip next on the screen. So can you bring up the gold standard? All right. So this clip is from April 6th of 1933. And what happened on April 5th of 1933 I think is extremely significant as to how they pulled this off. And what happened is we went off the gold standard as a country on April 5th. And this article says that anybody who doesn't turn in their gold is subject to a $10,000 penalty from the government. All right, so why do I say that? God says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Well, before April 5th of 1933, they, they, meaning everybody in you know, the United States is leading the charge here, but they had to balance the budget. After 1933, they don't have to balance the budget anymore, because we have a fiat currency. And so now they can use money to literally buy any single person they want. And there's no accountability anymore because it's a fiat currency. I think it is one of the key tentacles of how they were able to pull off things like covid but i mean covid is is you know, i don't want to focus on covid from the point of view that it's over and all of that i want to focus on covid because what covid did to me personally is expose the evil that has been going on for a long time and that's why i i showed what happened in 1933 you know and then if you look at you know the the focus on people that are, are into eschatology as a psyop, you know, because they can't stop going down rabbit holes. They they're looking for the mark of the beast and they don't really realize the mark of the beast is this whole system that we've already been into. I mean, they're a th- digital currency. Okay. Well, I mean, we get, I mean, that's the worst thing we're already in, in that era right? We only use credit cards. We have a fiat currency. So the next it's just the next generation of what we're already used to. All right. I want to uh, switch gears and drill down this COVID psyop in a in a little bit different light from some of the angles that I've been investigating. So, you know, just we'll set the stage. I'm going to have Don bring up a couple of clips then, and then we're going to do some deep dive into some things that are on my radar screen that I believe you've you're probably one of the only few people who can answer. So we'll just start with, we know that COVID was a PSYOP. So what does that PSYOP entail? Well, it it entails a virus, it entails a pandemic, it entails hospital murders, and entails a, quote, vaccine, end quote. Those are the four elements of the, the PSYOP. So they had to start this with this three weeks to flatten the curve. You know, so we kind of all bought into that idea. Okay, well, if this is real, three weeks to flatten the curve. Everybody can give up three weeks. No biggie, right? All right, well, of course, that was a lie. Well, then they start the false testing. And so now, well, boy, everybody's got COVID. We got drive-through testing centers. You know, this whole, You know, I'm on just on the surface level here, folks. But then, okay, well, now it gets serious. We got to do the hospital murders. And we've got these, these refrigerated trucks in New York City with you know, people stacked up like cordwood and it's like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is the psyop that at this point my wife and I were buying into. So now we get all COVID prepared at our house, right? We've got ivermectin, we got vitamins, but, you know, so then once Grace got a cold, we tested her with the home test that my wife, Cindy got from Walgreens and oh my gosh, her oxygen dropped to 88%. And, you know, literally Grace would be alive today if we wouldn't have taken her to the hospital. And I'm not going to go on that rabbit trail. I've talked about it on many, many shows before. Well, then they now we start looking at some truth. All right. So that's the lay of the land. Now we'd look at some some truth if you can look through the headline. So Don, bring up the first headline, the the Daily Beast screenshot. Okay, so let's read this together, Jay. Trump's COVID data crunchers seek coronavirus racing down America's major highways. All right, so they use this as their talking point that we shouldn't travel, okay? Because we're spreading it by traveling. And yet what they're doing, and I'm, I'm gonna have you comment in a minute. Don, bring up the next um, screenshot, because now I, I I went to world data and this, this screenshot that Don's gonna bring up next, Okay, it's up on the screen now. You see, it's interesting that if this thing was a virus that we all need to be fearful of, you can see the date I picked was September 21st, 2020, Jay. You can see, well, why, why did it certain countries not get it? And I'm I picked out specifically if you look at of course Greenland didn't get it and you know there's a whole movie on, on you know getting to Greenland but then the interesting country that didn't get the virus as of September 21st of 2020 was Ukraine. Anyway, um, what is your thought about this? You know, at this point in the in that whole scheme where there. You know, I when I started to see these maps, that oh wow, this is interesting. It went along these highway corridors, and it didn't it didn't jump certain countries. I started, okay, is this thing even a virus? So the show is yours. Go ahead.
2: Um, My response would be that this is, uh, in retrospect, I think really strong evidence for the play, um, which I think they really planned all along, which was that the island that I I will step back one second and say that I do think that most of the theater that was engaged in was orchestrated by the Five Eyes countries, including ourselves. So Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, England, us. Um, And of course that's because these are the people that we can um, most easily identify with um, as Americans. And so what needed to happen is Americans needed to see examples of lockdowns that were number one much harsher than theirs and number two that worked and so Australia, Australia and New Zealand are examples of lockdowns that worked and they 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 locked down in Australia most of us can't remember that they were allowed outside for one hour a day they locked down for hundreds of days in a row they weren't allowed to go from state to state unless they were vaccinated and that level of control they could have never Executed in America, but they needed to set an example, and they needed to be able to say that because we locked down, we didn't have any cases until 2021, and so that's the story that I think was there. That's the that was the thing we were being shown: these ridiculously angry Australian and New Zealand leaders, but also the Americans saying, "Well, maybe their lockdown is going to work, you know, and maybe." Maybe the Japanese are wearing masks and that's why they're not sick. All of this speculation was pre-prepared. And it's part of this limited spectrum of debate where then the people on TV are arguing not about whether there's a virus, but whether or not the lockdowns there are working better than the lockdowns here.
1: Yep, exactly. That's exactly what they want. They want us to get into these dialectic arguments that have nothing to do with the truth. We're going to rattle through a couple more here. So. Uh, What do you think about when they pulled the Johnson & Johnson
2: shot? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. And the worst part about this is is that we can go back to Jesse Gelsinger and know that they already knew that adenovirus wasn't going to be a useful way to augment um, a human body, uh, uh, the functioning human body. Uh, Jesse Gelsinger is a guy who had a very rare genetic disorder, missing an enzyme in in his liver. It's very debilitating. You have to have a very special diet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they tried to transfect his liver with a the enzyme that he needed using an adenovirus vector, which is very similar to Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. Um, and after it worked for about a week or so, of course, his immune system attacked his liver. He had acute liver failure and died. Um, this hasn't been improved in any way because you're still encroaching on the same You know, barrier and the same immune system that needs to understand the difference between self and non-self. And the moment you start transfecting foreign proteins into parts of your body, the immune system is not up to that challenge. That's not a natural. um, That's not a natural question that the immune system ever has to answer. Um, Yes, and and so that's the problem. You know, there aren't supposed to be cells in your body that are expressing foreign proteins. That's that's if they are, they they need to be eliminated. Um, And and so, anyway, um, I think that's that's probably the best uh, and the most diabolical part of the rollout because that is pointed to as evidence that the system works and that when yep. there's a red, then when there's a bad signal, we pulled it from the market. And so, exactly, obviously, if we didn't pull the mRNA off the market, there was no signal. Yeah. Um,
1: Yep, it's a. it was, I'm going to come back to that because I see there's a bigger sacrifice that I think is coming. So J&J gets sacrificed for the good of the agenda. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. So then, you know, the first big lawsuit that was filed was the remdesivir lawsuit in California. All right. Mm -hmm. So I have an opinion of that, but you have a perspective of the remdesivir lawsuit.
2: Was that the one about glass in the bottles?
1: No, this is that uh, there's a number of families got together. The attorneys filed against um, Gilead for producing remdesivir because remdesivir killed their their loved ones. Okay. So, you know, I see the remdesivir lawsuit as what's the best case scenario? You know, the best case scenario is Gilead has to pay the people who were killed by Remdesivir, assuming it can be proven, which, you know, it's easily proven. But I mean, you're, you're trapped in the court system first, but assuming that they win, what, what do they get? They get a payment relative to a drug that killed them. It doesn't stop anything. Because all it is, is a the worst case scenario is a money judgment. So I see that as as simply another distraction. And they're moving on to substantially worse things. While people are think, you know, putting their hopes in a remdesivir lawsuit, uh, one okay. I want to move on to one that I'm guessing you. That's dealt a
2: real, with. I I don't want you to move on yet. I think it's a really interesting. Um, I, I I don't disagree with you at all. It's just the first time I've ever heard anyone characterize the any remdesivir lawsuit could almost fit into that category. Exactly. Uh, if you're going for financial damages, which inevitably is what people go for then you're not solving the problem at all, actually. And that's that's really interesting. Well, we
1: structured Grace's lawsuit specifically to go after the people who pulled the trigger. That's why our lawsuit is extremely expensive because we didn't, you know, they, the attorneys just wanted us to go against Ascension Hospital System because that's where the money is. But we named five doctors and two nurses to make a statement that the people who pulled the trigger are responsible for pulling the trigger. You can't blame the hospital that they loaded the gun. Somebody still pulled the trigger. And that's the same thing with Remdesivir. And the reason it's it's true with Remdesivir is because you know you could you could say in the first 3 weeks, 4 weeks maybe of the hospital stays that well, we didn't know. But now you've got the COVID era is 39 months and they're still using it and it has a 75% kill rate. Well, now you're responsible because you, you know, nobody is that dumb to not see the kill rate in the hospital that you work at. And same with, same thing with ventilators. So you could use remdesivir and ventilator, same thing. You know, you're, you're not, you know, people are responsible. Remdesivir is not responsible. Uh, ventilators are not responsible. People are responsible. So people have to be held to account. That's the only way to, you know, if we're going to use the
2: system. Wow, God, I've never heard anyone say this. It's so extraordinary to me that I've never heard anyone say this before.
1: Well, I, I,
2: it's not. But I'm just a dad, so anyway, I just see oh, the. You, you, you have come off to me in our in our previous conversations as being a guy who has been. Um, meddled with on this and encouraged to go in the wrong direction or or in a useless direction several times and hearing you succinctly describe it this way is really enlightening to me and it's something that i know i can take and, and repeat because it makes perfect sense to me to think this way um i i really like it a lot um and it will also it also i think this this concept also will put more onus on all of these healthcare practitioners to understand what they're doing and to think a little bit more about, about their responsibilities to their patient. Cause right now I think they do kind of hide behind the, the, you know, I'm just part of the system. I just do what I'm told kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, wow. I agree.
1: All right. I want to go through another one. I was asked this one is because I was on a show and they asked me, uh, do you think that there was ever a virus? And, you know, I I'm, I'm don't have any credentials like you do, but I mean, the the research that I have been exposed to, I thought, no, this was this was never a virus. And so the lady who was the host said, well, what what do you make then of the patents, the patents for the virus? I said, well, how do you know that the patents weren't planted to get us to think that it was a virus? So anyway, your perspective on planted patents
2: yeah so that's i i'm right there with you um i just want i would like to maybe clarify just a little bit to make sure that um the people that are listening um get it uh the the point is uh a rather simple one um and i'll just you don't have to go away um i'll just use it here uh hold on one second And this needs to go away and this needs to come back. And so I will just use this one slide here and just show you this picture. So this is a little animation of what's supposed to happen inside of your cell as a virus is assembled. This little tiny red string there is supposed to be the genome of the virus that's wrapped around these bigger pink proteins, which are the N protein. And then the virus gets enveloped into this endosome and uh, I'm just going to repeat again now here. So you see, again, the genome gets packaged around the end protein, and then it gets invaginated into the endosome, and the endosome already has spike protein expressed on the inside of it, so that at the end, you get this little ball. So this is a cartoon which has been given to us by the PBS NewsHour and Bill Gates and all these virologists. And because the cartoon is so pretty and, and detailed, it's very tempting to believe that their, their understanding of this process is as pretty and as detailed, and that would be a complete lie. Um, it's important to understand that they, they have a loose idea of how viruses replicate, but for example, I wonder if anybody in your, in your audience understands that the influenza virus needs to carry an enzyme with it in order to make copies for itself. And a coronavirus supposedly doesn't need an enzyme with it because it makes its enzyme after it gets inside of your cells. Already a huge difference that they never talk about with regard to these viruses, but it's a very different in their cartoon. The reason why this is important is because the cartoon that they have told you is one where the virus goes into your lungs and it makes copies of itself. And then those copies come out and go to other people. But if you read virology pre-pandemic and you try to understand the phenomenon of RNA viruses, you understand that none of the real virologists on the ground believe that cartoon, that the virus goes into your lungs, makes copies of itself, and comes back out. They understand all kinds of things are not real about that cartoon. They know that the virus can't make copies of itself very well. It's very hard for it to grow in new tissues or to jump from animal to animal in their own best estimation. They can never really find full sequences in the wild. And instead they need to find fragments of it and then fill in the blanks to get a best guess of what this RNA might've been had they been able to retrieve the whole virus from the bat or from the cave or from whatever sample they had it in from the sample of the patient. And so this important distinction about what viruses are and what they aren't in a laboratory has been obfuscated since basically AIDS. And they have been using similar techniques that are actually indirect measurements of the presence of something and never definitively show that this structure is related to this effect or these proteins are related to this effect, but they're all co-present or correlated with. Um, It's never a direct measurement. So... The most important thing to think about here is whether or not the virus can make copies of itself and how well it does that because in, in RNA virology, they can't, they know that they can't and they used to whine about it that RNA viruses are so hard to study because we can't ever get them to grow. And the reason why that is, is more because of uh, the aspects of DNA versus RNA. DNA is a double-stranded molecule DNA has um, a number of enzymes that work together that can copy it and also proofread the copies. Um, RNA is single-stranded most of the time in nature. And most of the time when we use it in our bodies, messenger RNA is single-stranded. And therefore, when you if you were to try and copy it, you wouldn't have uh, two copies to compare to. So proofreading it would be more difficult. And in fact, the mechanisms that are used on double-stranded DNA can't be used on RNA because RNA is single-stranded. So coronaviruses are actually single-stranded RNA. And if you think about coronaviruses like a mixtape, if you want to make coronaviruses in the laboratory and you assemble them and you find one, you can't make copies of a mixtape over and over and over again because the tape copies will get more and more terrible. Nobody will want to use them in headphones because the sound deteriorates cds on the other hand can be copied you can share them with your friends you can and they can make copies of the copies that you made and they don't deteriorate in in quality this analogy is pretty close to how rna versus dna would be copied in any mammalian or or well eukaryotic system it doesn't matter what biology you're talking about copying dna is high fidelity and copying rna if it's even done is lower fidelity than this copying process. So what that translates to very simply is that RNA virology doesn't work very well in a dish. You can't really grow them very often. And if you look at these coronavirus papers that from all these crazy laboratories that everybody's pointing out has gain of function, you will find that they never can grow the virus. They always find the sequence. They always reconstruct the sequence, retrieve the sequence. And then the sequence is instead translated into DNA. And that DNA then can be used to grow lots of copies, like a CD, lots of copies of itself. Now, if it's a coronavirus, they've realized that they have to make it into pieces to make lots of copies of it, and they reassemble it. But that doesn't matter for this purpose. It's to understand that it wouldn't grow in culture, but it does. they can make a DNA copy of it. The nice thing about this is, is that this uses very standard industrial techniques for making any biologic. You just grow it in an E. coli culture. The E. coli faithfully makes copies of your DNA. After you take the the E. coli out of those cultures, you can convert that DNA to RNA, and now you have a, a form of the virus that never existed in nature, that you couldn't retrieve from the cave, that you couldn't pull out of the bat, and it's super pure because it came from one single sequence of DNA that was copied many times. So instead of having a swarm of incomplete RNAs, which is the best possible virus model that the virology experts could be left with at this stage, if it's not just all mythology, that that still is is artificially recreated with this process to a purity level and to a quantity that can't exist anywhere in nature. This would allow them to send it around to all their friends so that all their friends can do the same experiments using the same RNA. And more importantly, you could make large quantities of this and you could distribute it anywhere you wanted to and wherever you look for it, you would find it. And it wouldn't be variable like one from mother nature. It would be pure, the signal would be great, the PCR primers would work perfect. The, the RNA would culture in a dish, and you would be able to sequence it and report a full sequence, unlike any virus that you could find in Mother Nature. And the crazy thing is, is that they've known that they can do this. There's a paper before the, the um, I won't go into that now with you. But there are many papers before the pandemic which have tried to look at the replication fidelity of coronaviruses and found this same thing that they just don't replicate very well. And the best thing that we can do, the way that we can make the most infectious materials to start with a DNA clone, make lots of RNA from that, and then do all of our experiments from this stock, which has nothing to do with whatever phenomenon they call SARS-CoV-2 that supposedly came from a laboratory in Wuhan. That's the big thats the big trick that they've pulled on us. Wow.
1: I'm glad you have those slides at your disposal they do a fantastic job of explaining and you have a gift at uh, putting words to the slides. So thank you for that. I want to move on to one more talking point before we close today, which is how they're setting this whole thing up now to be all about COVID. And the setup, the first setup was Congress illegally ended COVID on April 10th of 2023. And if you start looking at everything since April 10th of 2023, you start seeing, ah, these are, these are purposely, the the narratives are purposely being released to get us to look at, we've got to have responsibility for what happened with COVID and or COVID was, we made mistakes, but we'll get it right next time. That's what's going on now, and I see every headline through that lens and bigger picture. So when I think when you and I talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jay, we talked about the, the movie uh, Sound of Freedom. So when you watch Sound of Freedom, you see you know, it was a fine film, but then if you look at, okay, what's really going on here? Well, why did it take them five years to release it? Why didn't they talk about the real issue, which is what's behind the the child trafficking, the, the uh, killing of children for organs, the killing of children for the satanic rituals. Why didn't they talk about that? And the real close, the real hook to that movie was right at the end. And I saw the hook. Of course, I can't watch anything now like I used to because there's no fun in watching it. I'm always looking for the gotcha. And the gotcha in that film is the man who it was based on, they showed his testimony, his live testimony, You know, it wasn't live in the film, but his, his real testimony in front of Congress, and that Congress is making a commitment to end this, that we're gonna have legislation. Oh my gosh, Congress is in on it. Congress is in on this whole COVID side. So you can't have Congress do an investigation of itself or pass a law against itself when they're in on it. All right, so now that being said, uh, we, my wife and I, watched the movie "Shot Dead," and I, I know the director and producer of the the um, documentary. Uh, I, she's she's one I believe is trustworthy, so I'm not looking at that film as as bad. But it was all about vaccine deaths and injuries, and it was it was well done. As soon as I got done with it, I said to my wife, "I said Pfizer is going to be a sacrifice." And I think that's coming. We have to have a monster sacrifice. So the agenda continues. Realize the agenda is what they're after. So if they make a big sacrifice, so they sacrificed J&J before us, I'm going to come back to that. I think Pfizer is going to be a sacrifice to keep the agenda going. So what's going on is you know, we've got the election cycle, which that diverts 70% of the population right there. But then, you know, they re- reduce gas prices, everything's back to normal. You know, that's part of the PSYOP to get us focused on, okay, now that COVID's over, everything's back to normal, we've got to have accountability for COVID. And I'm going to have Don play a clip and tell you why I played it, and then JJ, I'm going to let you rip on that. So go ahead and play the clip, Don.
0: Uh, we shouldn't be told that we have to take a a vaccine.
1: Speakers at the rally arguing their loved ones could still be alive if medical protocols were different during the pandemic.
0: I think people had to suffer. I think many people uh, died that didn't have to.
1: They're now calling for accountability.
0: We should not have to worry when we go to our doctor. Are we going to be on the right side of politics? It is time that we have an investigation here in Oklahoma. There was people who've been trained who who are are medical physicians that should have known better than this and they have a responsibility to treat patients and not uh, listen to what they know is untrue.
1: Representative Humphrey says the rally is one of the first steps taken to eventually make laws in the state to prevent something like this from happening again.
0: Which I appreciate all the doctors and nurses and the ones who, who fought through and worked and at risk of their own life and uh, who did that so they're much appreciated. This is not any kind of attack on the medical field. This is an attack on how that we allowed politics and money to overtake our medical uh, agencies and medical departments and make medical decisions.
1: He says next they will request an interim study and collect evidence to present to the attorney general. Interestingly, his name is J.J. Humphreys. Oh, wow. uh, I, you know, I, I just picked up on that coincidence. So I met him last, this past Saturday. I, I flew to Oklahoma City to speak at the state capitol for this event. And so the local Fox station does this coverage. And my wife showed it to me. I didn't know that they had done the coverage. She, she showed it to me. And I instantly said, that is complete bullshit and the reason is just he's got like all you can just listen to these politicians they go right through the talking points so first i i just jotted them down as i was listening so first we need to have a choice relative to take the vaccination or not well so you see that we still are on the vaccination agenda okay vaccinations are it's all a psyop the whole vaccination agenda is a psyop uh then he said that you know we've got to have accountability for the pandemic we need to have. Um, An investigation. I mean, who's going to investigate this? The only people qualified are guys like you and I, Jay. And then this is not about the doctors and nurses. Well, the heck it isn't. I mean, those are the people who pulled the trigger. So anyway, he hit all the talking points that they're trying to sell us right now so that we can have accountability and we all buy into, okay, we got the best government on earth. Anyway, I probably gave you all the answers already, but I still want your perspective.
2: no i I, I don't think I'm even seeing it as as well as you., um, but I, I what I'm what I'm most fascinated by now because you're really getting me excited about it is how do we how can we, um, what is the right idea? Do you think what we need to do is I, I just'm I'm, I'm processing this in real time. Can we get, for example, the the doctors to turn on their administration then like in other words once you make this momentum so that okay now people understand that actually you should blame the doctor now the doctor has to say okay well hey wait a minute i was told and i needed now the doctor's gotta turn and and up the chain um I, i don't think that's such a bad idea um essentially it seems like some of these people are suggesting we should skip all those people and go right to the top of the chain um go right for the nih or something um or the cdc instead of prosecuting the doctors but i do see your point it's it's extraordinary um i i i was jotting down other notes so it's a it's a it, it to me i i don't i don't doubt at all um uh, do you know who Ted Gunderson is? I don't. Oh, Ted Gunderson is a guy um, who used to work for the FBI. You should look him up. Um, he might not be alive anymore. Um, but Ted Gunderson was after the the networks of the Sound of Freedom um, back in the 90s already. Um, okay. and actually, actually dropped out of the FBI because the FBI wouldn't do anything about it. Um and became quite a whistleblower for a long time tour in the United States, like just giving away packets of information. Um, he used to be the head of the FBI on the whole West Coast, actually, Ted Gunderson. Um, wow. so the, this fight has been going on a long time. Ted Gunderson is the guy who woke me up about um, um, some of the, the history that I lived through when I was a teenager. And uh, I have no doubt in my mind that, that what we experienced over the last four years was uh an unprecedented level of of an attempt to invert our understanding of of what reality is um and make sure that none of us had a solid footing that mattered um and and that's that's really um it's one of those things where i still find that the people that are now opposing us scott are trying very hard to get us to commit to one particular explanation um when it's a crime scene i'm not supposed to come up with the the explanation for how they did it i just know that it's a crime and i know that these people are lying about what actually happened and your point um is really it's really sinking very deep um and it also makes me kind of sad because i i don't know maybe you've you've obviously thought about it longer than i have what do we if we can't and i agree we we probably can't turn to the current sitting congress is is one possible solution to elect people like you and me should we start running for office is that a solution or not really yeah it's a great question and it actually brings up so i'm going
1: to answer that in the frame of starting to wrap things up
2: sure sure you're going to come on my show anyway and we're going to do this again
1: yeah we're going to talk yeah and then you'll you'll have another week to process yeah uh you know the the solutions that are being proposed are all man-made. So, you know, having us, guys like you and I run for Congress, those type of things are all under, I see them all under the false prophet system, power back to the people, because it doesn't acknowledge how we got here. We got here by rejecting God. And we can't, there's nobody going to be held accountable for for the real psyop here, you know, they're going, you know, if Pfizer is a sacrifice that will look like accountability, but it's all to set up, you know, if the false profit system looks like, hey, we're going to go back to the gold standard, we're going to have Nuremberg two trials, Uh, we need to give control back to the people. Those are all great talking points that are being sold right now, if you watch, you'll see these talking points are being sold as, so a a way to say this uh, succinctly is the plan, there's, there's a plan to take down the cabal. So the cabal, we look at, okay, this whole, you know, the great reset, this is all, the cabal has got this all set up. Well, the plan to take down the cabal was written by the cabal. So this really gets people in the right frame of mind for the solution, because the solution has nothing to do with the proposals that you're hearing. The solution is understanding everything that's happening through a biblical worldview. And what God said, I'm just going to read a scripture reference, Jay, sure. in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, it says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but delighted in wickedness. So I see the powerful delusion. I mean, I could be wrong with this, but I see the powerful delusion as the antichrist evil system and then the red pill false prophet less evil system, the two sides of the satanic coin are the powerful delusion and it's called the world. And we get sucked into that and thinking men can save us is been around for a long time. Uh, you know, the people who were led directly by God, the Israelites in first Samuel chapter eight, you know, they wanted a King, you know, and they begged Samuel, give us a King. And Samuel pleaded with God and said, Hey, you know, what should I do here? And God said, give them their King. Uh, so God won't go against what we what we want, and we want a king. We want somebody to save us from this mess, and um, it's already set up. Anyway, so that's what I see. I think the answer to this is repentance. I think COVID was a call to repentance. That's how I see it now, and I, I, uh, I really can't see it any other way. So when I look at Grace's lawsuit, for example, Jay, I don't see it about money at all. We've already said if we get any money, we're not taking it, and that's why we did the more expensive path. It's why we didn't haven't taken money from people who have offered to sponsor our case. It's got to be above reproach. We're using the case to to shed light on evil, and that's the purpose of the case. And that's why I've been on 800 shows, and yeah, I, I just want to keep sharing so that people can wake up and you have a chance to save yourself from a hospital stay, of course, physically, but more importantly to this spiritual message that I'm sharing right now. So anyway, that's my, my two cents worth. Um, it's uh, I want I, you to I, have the last, the last word, of course. So go, it's all, all yours now.
2: Um, I don't know. I don't know how to approach this because I, I don't, I don't typically, um, on my show, I don't really talk about um, these kinds of issues. I try to stay very much a biologist. Um, but I hint at the idea that that at the heart of my understanding um, lies this idea that somewhere in, in all of my work and reading and, and investigation, I keep running into this irreducible complexity that that is everything that makes us sacred and 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 makes our you know we can study biology and bugs and how animals work it's of course you want to understand how god's creation is connected and and how it all sings together and what our place is when within it but but um most of the the impetus for our investigation in academic biology is trying to undermine that or trying to uh dispel that as a as a as a sacred idea and so um, I don't know what it is about me and my and my being that drew me out of academia, but I always knew that what was going on there wasn't the appreciation of the sacred that I wanted it to be, and and instead what it was was the demystifying of it and the the um, the almost uh, desecrating of it in many in many labs, um, and this took a long time for me to wake up to um and i'm trying my best to craft a message which um the presence of of god and christ is behind me and and visible um without necessarily me always calling him to to mind by name um yeah. and and it's really important um i tell my kids this a lot i say it to my wife a lot um it's really important that that's there. Otherwise, I don't. I would never have been able to keep um, the the hope alive that that what I'm doing might contribute to something that will keep our grandchildren safe. Um, and and as you've outlined it, you know, we are up against. It's, this is for all the marbles. This is from generations past already. Things are 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 crescendoing right now in our lifetimes that unfortunately or fortunately um, it's in our lifetimes that this is happening i mean i I can't tell you how awesome it would have been if I would have grown up in the 50s and been a biologist in the 60s um, I would be dying right now as a, as a happy uh, go-lucky emeritus biologist you know that yeah. that spend his time hiking with his grandkids and 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 if I could have gone out in 2019 like that it wouldn't have been a bad way to go but yeah, we, have, yeah. we have been chosen to be here, um, for whatever reason. Um, and I, I I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story as, as often and as widely as you do, it takes a lot of courage and I'm sure, um, it costs a lot. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, well, it, it, you know, it's they, really something, it's something yeah. really special and I, I don't, I can't imagine losing one of my children, um, I'm sure that the reason why I haven't is because I would not have been able to be a good example as a Christian like you are. Um, I probably would have done or acted uh, much differently. And so uh, I, I, you're in my prayers, man. I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm uh, I'm definitely lucky to have, have run into you and cross paths with you. So,
1: well, thanks for having I, me on. I,
2: I feel the same. I mean, I. Uh
1: god gets all the credit here i mean i am shocked at what is inside of me i mean he he truly um is in charge the coincidences there's no coincidences all the things that he set up for a time such as this for me to be active and uh, have no fear in what we're doing and you know there's there's so many things but it's it's all him so jay thanks so much for coming on and i will see you next week if you just want to hang around for a minute here at the end we'll say goodbye after don signs us off very good